which in a lot of respect it is. How you doing? Racing well? Any crashes or burns along the way? Any setbacks? Any times you may have fallen in trying to get to the end? How are you going to finish? Now, all of us are running a race in one respect or the other. And all of us at some point in life are going to finish. So let me ask you that question. How are you going to finish? A lot of people want to finish first in any race. And most people do. That's great. Awesome. I'd rather know that I did my best. Whether I finished first or not, it's not always the issue, but I do want to know that I did my absolute best. A lot of people, a lot of teams, a lot of organizations, they really want to be first. They want to be the best, which is fine. But you do want to do your best, even if you're not always first. We have to always be careful when we're trying to be the best or trying to be first about the pressure of high performance. Because in a lot of respects, it's led to abuse, overuse, or misuse of bodies, relationships, and many really do crash and burn along the way and don't always make it really well to the end at all. Now, if you're the coach here this morning, I know you're probably getting a little worked up. You're thinking to yourself, what do you mean you don't want to win? What do you mean you don't want to come in first? Second is the first loser. Right? You've heard that said before. And I get all of that. But sometimes we're so consumed with being first and being the best that we suck the very life out of the organization or the very life out of the sport. Now, if you're keeping score and we're playing together, I want to win. (laughs) Now, if you want me to have fun, don't keep score. And so I understand all of that. But sometimes in this effort to be the best, be first, We suck the life out of the people around us and certainly the life out of the people involved. A lot of parents don't help either. I can't tell you the amount of coaches that I've heard say this phrase. I love coaching the kids, but it's the parents that drive me crazy. I love coaching the kids. I love developing the kids. I love working with the kids, but it's the parents that drive me insane. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a guy who's been coaching for a long period of time, a little kids, and loves what he does and loves what he's doing, and they're not in the Olympics, and they're not in the Super Bowl. They're just having fun as little kids. And he says, these parents are absolutely driving me crazy. They're calling me all the time. They're overwhelming the kids. They're pushing them so hard, they're never really going to enjoy the sport. Now, it's not just sports that can do that. It can be a business or organization. They can do the same thing. They can be so driven by the bottom line that they drive over people while getting there. When a race is over, it's not always a matter of being first. But knowing that you've done your absolute best and finishing really, really well. Living consistent from beginning to end. Maybe in the beginning just of your spiritual life, not always the beginning of your life, but at least maybe from the beginning of your spiritual journey to the very end to know that you've done your absolute best in that journey. You've stayed consistent along the way and you're going to finish really, really well. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be known for? When life is over and it's all said and done, what do you want to be known for? Now, that's not a what, a what do you want on your tombstone kind of question. I want you to back up further than that. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be known for? 
In my journey of ministry, I've done twice as many funerals as weddings. And so I've had a lot of the opportunity to think about it myself, and I've had a lot of opportunities to wrap up somebody else's life. So when it comes to the end of your life, when it comes to the opportunity of being in the midst of a funeral setting, what do you want me to say at yours? When it comes to wrapping up your life, when someone's going to wrap up my life, what would you like said at your funeral? Now, this is a really positive sermon. (laughs) It's not meant to be morbid at all. But every once in a while, a visual really helps me understand the reality of life. And Thompson Miller was very gracious to loan me one for the weekend. I hope no one needs it right away. And if you've been through a funeral recently, this is not intending to hurt you in any way. But it is a very vivid reminder that unless Christ comes back, unless Christ returns in our lifetime, we're all going to end up in one of these. And I'm going to have the opportunity, if I'm still part of your life and a part of your ministry and a part of your pastoral family, I'm going to have the opportunity to wrap up your life. So what would you want said? Every once in a while, we really ought to think about that. Well before the very end. What would you like said at your funeral? What would you want me to say about you? And even more importantly than what I say about you, what's God going to say when you get there? Because again, unless Christ returns, we're all going to die. It very clearly says in Scripture, it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face the judgment, to face Almighty God. So when it's all said and done, what do you want me to say? And when it's all said and done, what's he going to say to you? Well done. Come on home. Good and faithful servant. Really well done. For I have no idea who you are. Scripture pretty clearly says it's going to be one or the other. I mean, a lot more said and a lot more about the process, but two basic ends of life statements. One is, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Well done. Come on in. And the other one, when the books are opened, your name's not here. I never knew you. And you never responded to the invitation of inviting my son into your life. What do you want me to say? What would you want said about you? One of the most amazing people I've ever met. Would that be you? She was so gracious. She loved Jesus with every fiber of her being. Or he was so up and down, I never knew what to expect. What if the person standing here and standing there got really honest, knew everything about you, everybody in the room knew it, And said things like, oh my goodness, she was the grouchiest person I've ever known in all of my life. I mean, who was really honest. Oh my goodness, you talk about crabby. There was never a good thing she would say about anybody. Nobody wanted to be around her. Do you have those people in your life where you are drawn toward them and other people in your life, you run away from them? Imagine yourself going to Giant Eagle and you run into a lot of people from CAC. Are there people in your life that you run into that you know who've been a part of your life one way or the other? Or maybe at a family reunion and you know they're there and you know they're going to be there. Are there people in that context that you can't wait to see, that you want to be around? And there are other people in all that context that you find yourself hiding from. 
going down another aisle or really making sure you get the right set of eggs. And so you stand there for 10 minutes hoping they don't see you and go another direction. If you're really honest, I mean flat out honest, you know that. That there are people in your life who really are like that, that you don't want to be around them. You try to avoid them. Who never seem to enjoy life. Who never seem to be happy about life. Always negative, never see the positive. Man, not only is the cup not half full, there's hardly any water in it at all. And at the end of their life, someone is going to stand in a place like this and wrap it up and talk about them. I've done four to five hundred funerals, at least in my ministry life. Probably a hair more than that. And I've had the opportunity to sum up a lot of lives. And in that 20 or 30 minutes, to talk a lot about this individual. And in all of those contexts, I've asked everybody who knows them, and specifically the family members, to send some things to me. I didn't know them. I didn't know much about them. Could you send me some things? Or maybe I knew them well, but I want to know your perspective. I've had families that honestly couldn't stop saying enough things about their family member, and I'm going to be really flat out honest with you, that I've never said in public before. I've had families who couldn't put three sentences together about a family member that's been in their family for 80-plus years. And I sat there looking at this material, and every one of my administrative assistants and even some people in the church who know well look at this material and think, how on earth is that all you have to say about someone who's been a part of your life for such a long period of time? And I've wanted to say to the individual, but sadly it's too late, and so now I have the opportunity to talk to you. Somebody's going to be wrapping up your life. So what do you want them to say? How are you living it? How are you loving? How are you giving? How are you caring? How are you blessing? What are you doing with your life? I have the opportunity this morning to wrap up two lives. Two biblical characters, Joshua and Caleb. We finish their story today, and you wrap it all up. And if there are ever two characters in all of Old Testament and New Testament that I love to emulate and I look at on a regular basis and I kind of watch their lives and I use them as sometimes a measuring rod for how I want to do, it is these two guys who are ordinary individuals. It's so easy to look guys like Caleb and Joshua who finished really well, who really decided they were going to follow God with every fiber of their being. And it wasn't a matter of how they started. You and I may not have a whole lot of choice of how we start or as how we start, but every single one of us in the room do have a choice as to how we're going to live and how we're going to finish. We may not know the when we're going to finish, but we do know how we want to finish, what we want said, how we want to live. Not so that people can say nice things about us. It has nothing to do with that per se. But so we live so that others around us could have benefits by just being in touch with us. That's what these two guys provide for me. All through my life and all through my journey with Jesus and all through my ministry life, I've used these two guys as models that I say, that's the kind of life I want to live. That's what I want to be known for. That's how I want to enjoy this journey. That's how I want others to see me. 
Now you look at these two guys and say, easily this, I get it. Hey, look, I'm not Joshua and I'm not Caleb. So it's great for these guys to be such great heroes to you and to other people. It's great to have them all over Scripture, but you get to know that I'm not Joshua and I'm not Caleb. And I get that. You're not. But you can, in your sphere of influence, with the people around you, to your generation, in your job, with your family, with those who know you, be that kind of influence so others can say it really doesn't matter their name. It doesn't matter that their name is not Joshua and Caleb. They really did love God. They really were a wonderful person to be around. I couldn't wait to see them. I love being with them. I love what they've learned about life. When James is wrapping up his book, he gets to the fifth chapter and he talks about powerful prayers. And he says this about one of them. His name is Elijah. Talks about his praying, being able to ask God to stop the rain from coming. And so it didn't come for three and a half years. And then he said, okay, rain now come. And rain came. And you think, wow, it would be great to be able to pray that way, wouldn't it? Just be, although this summer it never seems to stop raining. But wouldn't it be able to say, okay, sun stop like Joshua did. Rain don't come. Rain come now. And then he adds this phrase, which you cannot miss. And you have to see he adds this simple little phrase, Elijah, a man just like us. And that has to be the key to the process. That has to be the key to all of Scripture. There's no way on the planet that God could take all the stories of all humanity and put them in a book so that you and I could carry it around with us. Matter of fact, John ends up saying that at the very end of the Gospel of John. The only one that said it. Look, if I were to just simply tell you everything Jesus did, all the volumes in the world couldn't contain it. So there's no way on the planet that God and his creativity is going to be able to identify every name down through the list. So he pulls out these that always stand the test of time who give us an opportunity. He's really honest about the people who crashed and burned, who messed up, the went in the canyon, who rolled over and burned and never made it to the end. He's really honest about that. And he gives us these people. And then he says that phrase, which I cannot forget, and I'm always reminded of, they're ordinary individuals following and loving and serving an extraordinary God. <laughs> you know what that means? It's not us, it's him. It's not us, it's him. Ordinary individuals following an extraordinary God down to the very fiber of their being. Caleb and Joshua stood the test of time. They were the two spies that were sent out by the children of Israel to explore the promised land, the only two that came back and said, we can do this. With God on our side, we can do this. Their faith and confidence in God carried them through the rest of their lives. They made a decision early on that they're going to follow God with every fiber of their being, and they stayed that way all the way through. John, Joshua 14, Joshua describes Caleb three different times as this. He followed God fully. Man, if somebody wanted to wrap up your life, wouldn't that be a great statement to be known for? He followed, she followed God fully. Or he was so nasty and sarcastic and grumpy to be around, we didn't want to feel. Which one do you want to be known for? I mean, you can be known as somebody who really hit a golf ball. Man, that guy could really slam that thing. He drove great cars. He knew how to make money. He could really run a business. Good things. If I had to choose, I like this one. He, she followed God fully to the end. At 85 years old, Joshua's 
Got a friend named Caleb who reminds me so much of my dad because my dad's 85, who constantly says to me, what's the next? What's, what's the next hill? What's the next battle? What are we going to do now? I want to serve God. I want to speak, speaks all over the country for the Gideon, all over the state for the Gideons. Serves in a variety of capacities. Loves God down to his soul and continues to serve him well into his 80s. And now 85, like Joshua, like Caleb, who said, what's next? The more they exercised their faith, the deeper it grew. The longer they lived and followed and trusted God, the greater their faith became. Our greatest years, don't forget this phrase, our greatest years should be our latest years. The longer we live and follow God, the deeper our faith should be and the greater our effectiveness. I've seen people who get better with age. The older they get, the better they get. The more fun they are to be around, the more enjoyable their characters are. And you know and I know that we've seen people get what? Bitter with age. Matter of fact, I said about some people, they're not going to die. They're just going to nasty away. And that's a choice. It really is. It's a choice to continue to get better, better and better in my life with God, better and better in my sermons, better and better in my ministry, better and better in whatever it is that I'm doing, better in my work, better in my family, better with where I'm at in my neighborhood. Think about the older people in your life, as I said a moment ago. Are there some that you're drawn toward and others that you hide from? <laughs> Which one do you want to be when you get that age? Caleb's attitude, optimism, and outlook on life made him one of God's greatest heroes. But I go back to what I said before, ordinary individuals serving an extraordinary God. Some people are old in their 30s and some are young in their 80s. It is not about numbers. It's about attitude. With age comes experience, with experience comes confidence, and that kind of life is contagious. The Apostle Paul said, let me get honest with you. Let me be really flat out honest with you. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. I don't want you to lose heart, but I need you to know the outward man is going to fall apart. And those of you who are older like me are going, no, duh. And then he has this, this great caveat when he said that the inward man, man can be renewed day by day. The outward man's going to fall apart. Day by day, it falls apart. The recovery process now, I threw a football with a kid the other day and it took me three days for my back to get right. But the inward man can be renewed day by day. Caleb's effectiveness and devotion made his life so rich and full and satisfying. Neither he or Joshua ever saw the completion of the promises of God in their lifetime. But it never negatively affected these two guys. They kept on following God. They kept on serving him. They kept on inspiring other people to the end of their lives. So often, people become the product of their environment with excuses for behavior and attitudes. Things like, if I only had, I should have done this. You know what happened to me. My mom didn't do this. My dad didn't do that. So many times, people become products of their environment or excuses for their environment when they really don't have to be. Others rise above their situations and difficulties and become someone that people want to be around. They get better and better with age. Joshua 23 and 24, I want you to spend some time with me this morning in just a couple of verses out of those chapters. When one commentator looks at Joshua 23, now it's coming to the end of his life, kind of wrapping it all up. God in his grace has allowed him to live an extended period of time, so now his whole life is getting wrapped up. And he says this, after all of Israel gathered them together, one commentator said this about him. 
What Joshua 23 does is gives us the wisdom of someone who knows the road ahead. It's rough spots and unexpected turns, it's demands and dangers, it's pains and it's pleasure not to be missed. He tells us about the journey ahead and how to enjoy the trip. A message that only the seasoned life traveler can give. That's why only older people give farewell speeches because they really do understand the road of life and where it's taken them. That's why we always should listen to them. We live in a society and in a world that elevates the young and ignores the old. Throughout the years, I've had people say to me, I wish we had multiple services or different types of services that could draw certain people and younger people could be in one and others could be in another and the music would be to their favor and all of that. And I certainly understand the dynamics of that. But what I honestly love about what we have here and what goes on around is when you look around, you see the diversity of age in the room. You see people at different levels of the spectrum of life and and, and age. And and I get all the other reasons for that, but I, I love the fact that you can look around the room and see it, people at different stages of life, and we know we're worshiping God together and loving and serving and giving in all those stages of life. Joshua 23 begins, after a long time had passed, the Lord had given Israel rest for a while. Actually, it's going to be. So Joshua says this as he brings them in in verse 2. I'm really old. I'm very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It's the Lord your God who fought for you. He begins by reminding them of some of the most amazing things God has done. I've often wondered if he rehearsed in his own mind as he began to lay in that moment of time knowing that his life was about to end, what God had done and what he had seen. Kind of like David who writes Psalm 98, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done so many marvelous things. With his right hand and his holy arm, he has worked salvation for us. The Lord has made his salvation known, revealed his righteousness to the nations, has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our Lord. Psalm 106 says, praise the Lord, give thanks to him for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord and declare his praise? You know who? Those who've lived long enough. Those who've lived longer. Those who've been around and have seen the glory and power of God. They have not, may have not seen the Red Sea part and the, Jordan, or the Jericho walls come falling down, but they've seen family members come to faith in Christ. They've seen that one person they've prayed for. They've seen that son or that daughter get married to a godly individual, someone who knows Christ. They've seen that little boy and that little girl be born, and they know they saw them dedicated. They stood there and they watched them on that platform, and they knew they really were committing themselves to Christ and following him. And they saw the miraculous of that life coming together. They may have seen a miracle take place where someone was healed with cancer and someone's life was put back together again. Maybe that alcoholic is finally turning around to Christ. Maybe that person you've been praying for or they've been praying for has come to faith in Christ or at least interested in some spiritual conversations. You may have not seen Jordan part or the Red Sea part or the walls of Jericho come down, but you and I have all seen miracles. And the older we get, the longer we stay connected to God, and the more we follow him, the greater our blessing should be. And it should be so easy for for us who are older to be people who are so wonderful to be around because we've seen so much we've been blessed so much we have such a positive outlook on life that everyone in the room who is older over 60 who's followed God for 20 years or more ought to be some of the most enjoyable people in the room because of what they've seen God do he continues with words of encouragement in verse 6 be very strong. Be careful to obey all that's written in the book of the law of Moses. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Don't associate with other people that are going to bring you down. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. 
Essentially, he passes on what he learned at the beginning. Remember how we began this series in Joshua chapter 1, 6 to 9? Be strong, be courageous. Follow me with every fiber of your being. Stay in the word. Don't move to the left or to the right. Keep on going to the very end. I'll walk with you. And now at the end of his life, after hearing that at the beginning of his life, he's giving the same encouragement. Stay in the word. Be people of the word. Don't veer off to the right or to the left. What you have to remember is all he had in his hands was five books. And certainly not even complete. The law of Moses. It wasn't, look like, it wasn't like he had your Bible in his hands and he took it around and he held it up and he said, here it is, Genesis to Revelation, man. Don't veer to the right. Don't veer to the left. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. He had none of that. He had writings of Moses. He had five short books. And he said, here it is. Stay with it. You and I have books all over the place. We've got more translations than anybody has ever known, more translations in the history of humanity. And we have the opportunity to pass on to our children and ourselves model it of people who are people of the book. Now, when you look at that, you say, well, duh, Christians know that. They're always in the book. They know the Bible. They know a lot about the Bible. They know the stories of the Bible. Research was done in the 1980s. It said 79% of the people in the church read their Bible on a regular basis, 2005. It's down to 59%. Jay Leno on The Tonight Show asked his audience if any of them could name the 12 apostles, not one. When people were asked who gave the Sermon on the Mount, the majority of them said Billy Graham. When a youth pastor in Michigan interviewed his church to find out whether or not they knew much about the Bible and gave them a Bible quiz, a simple Bible quiz to the people of his church, found that the grade that the average individual got was 40%. Now, those of you who are teachers, would you pass them if they got a 40%? So when you see Joshua saying to them, look, be people of the word, that still stands the test of time. Be people of the word. Great resources, phenomenal resources that God has blessed us with in a hundred different ways. But the number one resource in your life is to be people of the word. Incorporates a warning in verse 23, but don't turn away. If you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you marry, intermarry among them and associate with them, you can be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out those nations before you. I'm about to die, he says. I'm about to go the way of the earth. A fascinating phrase. And he says, I want to make sure that you stay connected to God, that you stay following him, and you don't let the world around you entice you and pull you down. Oh, good night. That's as live of a statement as if it was written in 2013. With all the influences, all the things that pull at us and pull us away and want to keep us in another direction and tell us this is where you get life and going to have fun doing this and it'll give you all that you ever need in life and the list is endless. That's as alive now as it was when it was written 4,000 years ago. If you do, you're going to pay a price. You will not find what you hoped you would find. That phrase, hold fast, to in verse 8, basically infers nothing in between you and God. You are so tightly connected to God that nothing gets in between you. It's a visual symbolism of a child that hangs on to a parent as tight as he can or she can in the middle of a storm or two lovers walking in a park with nothing to separate them. Joshua said, don't let anything get in between you and your relationship with God. The world's going to offer you a thousand things. <laughs> Then, now it's a million. 
Don't let anything get in between you and God. And then finally in chapter 24, he lays down the ultimate gauntlet. One of the most famous sections in all the Old Testament, one of the most famous quotes of Joshua. Fear the Lord. Chapter 24, verse 14. Fear the Lord. Serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the other gods. Serve him. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve, whether the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in this land that you're living. I'm just telling you right now, you can take a poll if you want to. Me and my house, we're serving God. Essentially, he's just saying this. There are two choices. There are two alternatives out there. Which one are you going to choose? Who are you going to follow? The God of this world, the gods of this world who offer you everything you can possibly imagine, only to find it's an illusion of concern, offer you nothing, leaving emptiness, more emptiness and hopelessness than when you came to them in the first place, or the one true God who offers life and care and concern and freedom, a listening ear and a powerful response. Which one are you going to serve? Matter of fact, I'm not even going to wait to hear your answer, he said. Me and my house, we're serving God. And every single father in the room ought to say amen to that phrase. Every single father in the room ought to shout amen to that phrase as for me and my house we're serving God a lot of other choices out there I get it a lot of other ways you can go I understand a lot of things that will entice and pull you down me and my house we're serving God we're going to follow God to the end we're going to finish well we're going to do everything we possibly can to live a life that others would want to follow and when it's all said and done and you wrap up my life I want to be able to say he loved God he finished well he served him he chose him and it ended with flare and thunder and I went to see him face to face and he said welcome home now that That's the way to have your life wrapped up. So what's it going to be? What are they going to say? If I'm here, what do you want me to say? Most people live their story and write their own eulogy by the life that they live. In my 30 plus years of ministry, I've had the opportunity to wrap up some of the most amazing lives that you can imagine. And I've honestly been in situations where I didn't know what to do. So if you love me, help me out. <laughs> Live a life that loves God down to your soul and makes others be attracted to you and the life you're living. Almost 20 years ago, I was sitting in Long Hill Chapel Church. I was sitting there as a funeral was taking place. A funeral for one of the most godly women I've ever seen. Her husband and her were heroes to me. He eventually became the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance, and his son was Joel Bubna, who had been a friend of mine for a long time, served on my staff, and we had been lifelong friends. I was about 16, 17 years into ministry, and I really didn't know if I wanted to stay. The demand and the toll was overwhelming. The expectations of people were something they could have never taught us in seminary. And I didn't know what to do. I had a good friend who said, I've seen you build houses. You can't do anything else. You might as well stay in ministry. So he was a great source of encouragement. But I honestly, I didn't know what to do. What I didn't expect was for Paul himself to stand up and do the funeral. And he said this simple phrase that, 
has resonated with me for the last 20 plus years, and I'm hoping will till I find out, till I see Jesus face to face. And he just simply said this, Jeannie, and he pointed to the casket, Jeannie finished well. And that phrase shot out down through that seat and back to that place, and I thought, wait a minute, that's what I, what a great way to finish your life. What a great thing for someone to say, I finished well. Keep on going, keep on loving, keep on giving, keep on caring. But whatever you do, finish really well. So that when someone wraps up your life, even if it's down to that simple of a phrase, they will know it wasn't something they made up, but it was something that true and rang true and finished well. And from that moment on, it so challenged me and charged me that obviously I've stayed with it. <laughs> and I'm hoping to finish that way. So when it's all said and done, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say about you? And more importantly, what will God say? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for the opportunity we have to explore your word and to know its power and see its wonder. I'm so, so thankful that you've given us models to follow, people that are ordinary individuals like us. And so, Spirit of God, in the name of Jesus, would you penetrate this room with your powerful presence? And would you speak to us about where we are in our journey? Maybe a lot of us in the room have had some crashes and burns. We fell along the way like that young boy in that race. But we got up and we're keeping on going. Maybe we're going through some difficulty right now. We wonder if we're going to make it to the end. And I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, whatever adjustments need to be made, would you, Spirit of God, tell us what they are? And let us hear you clearly about our attitudes, personality, outlook, whatever that may be. Speak.